All right, over the past few weeks, if you've been with us, we have opened up the Gospel of John, and we have started to look at this uh, question of who is Jesus? Um, Who is this uh, Jesus that's talked about throughout the Bible, and what does that mean for our life? And as we've been talking about this, we've come to the conclusion that um, Jesus is someone that you at least need to consider. He's someone that has had such a huge impact on the world um, that you at least need to think about who Jesus is. This is a really important thing to um, think through, to process through. And as I was at the grocery store this week with Laura, um, my eye hit this, the Time Life just put out the life of Jesus. Because people want to know. People want to know about Jesus. People want to know um, who he really is. People want to learn more about him. And even on the back, it says, discover the miraculous story of Jesus Christ's birth, life, and message of compassion. And this is just filled with some accounts of Jesus' life, but it's um, something that we want to uh, unpack more and more as we go through this gospel. And so far, John, in, in this gospel, as he's talking about Jesus, he's described Jesus as the word, and he's described Jesus as the light. And today, he describes Jesus with a title of unmatched humility, but also unmatched hope for us. Let me pray for us, and then uh, we're going to look and open up John chapter 1 today and look further at verses 19 and 34. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you for what you um, have done for us and what you continue to do. I pray that you would make it very clear to us today, Jesus, just who you are and what that means for our life and what that, um, what that means for our hope and what that means for our future. Um, Thank you, Jesus, for being more than just um, a story, more than just an idea, but um, offering us something that no one else and nothing else can offer. I just pray for us today that as we open up uh, John chapter 1 again and as we continue to look at who you are and as we continue to unfold that you just give us clarity. Um, I thank you for everybody who's here today, whether um, regardless of where everyone is really on, on the path of a relationship with you or not, whether uh, someone might be here today that just has a lot of questions, Jesus, about who you are, about who God is. I pray that you give clarity. I pray that your word would um, go forth as you promise it will and, and doesn't return void. I pray for those that are a part of the church and, and believers, but maybe we're wrestling with things. Maybe we're wrestling with, Jesus, are you really good, and, and what's your plan, and, and what's God's plan for us? I pray that you give clarity. And I pray that you would allow us to see you so clearly today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. And thank you for the truth that you've given us. Ultimately, thank you for your love and your grace. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Um, A friend called me not that long ago. And it was a friend that I've known for uh, several years. Know him and his wife really well. And he shared with me that, that they were having some issues and they were having some, some struggles and some problems. And it had gotten to the point where he was really trying to decide whether they were going to stay together, whether he was going to stay in the marriage, in the re- relationship. Um, he and his wife had a, a child together, and so there are all these dynamics. And, and as a pastor, um, one is a pastor and a friend um, I saw this as an opportunity, um, just an opportunity to come alongside him and to um, hopefully help him see, hey, uh, don't abandon this. Don't leave this relationship. Like, like, you don't need to do that. You shouldn't do that. 
And so I spent a lot of time thinking and processing and, and thinking about how can I have this conversation with him and what should I say and what should I not say and how should I nuance different things. And so we got together and we talked and we spent hours and hours and hours um, just talking, talking about life, talking about his marriage, talking about what was going on in, in his life, what he was wrestling with, the doubts that he had. And, and I tried to do everything that I could. I, I was whipping out passages of scripture. I was um, giving him every piece of advice that I knew to give. I was, I was trying to point him in the right direction. And even as I left that night, I kind of felt like this inward pride come over. Like, yeah, I did a really good job. Like, I gave some really, really good advice tonight. Like, like man, maybe I should just be a counselor. Like, uh, that's what I felt. And so um, I was just like, man, that had to have just this, this huge impact and uh, things are gonna be great and they're gonna, they're gonna get better. And then um, it, was, it was only about a, a week or two after that, that that we talked and he was like, you know what, like this just isn't for me and, 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 and I, I want a divorce. And that hit me so hard. <laughs> but I think a lot of why it hit me so hard is because I felt um, like a little bit of a, of a failure. I felt like um, frustrated and really angry and upset, but it, some of it had more to do with me. I was like, why, why weren't the advice that I gave, why didn't it matter? Why didn't it have an impact? Why didn't it change things? Um, why didn't all the planning that I put into this conversation that I had with him, why didn't it have this um, outcome that I was hoping that it would have? And maybe you've been there. Maybe it's in uh, relationships with other people. And you see something in their life and you get together with them and you offer them advice or you offer them um, hope in whatever way that you can, but it just doesn't turn out the way that you hoped it would. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you're trying everything that you can to make it as good as it can possibly be. Maybe that's growing in your marriage or maybe that's just salvaging your marriage, but yet things just aren't turning out no matter what you do, no matter how much time you put in. Maybe if you have children, it's with your children and you're pouring in a lot of effort and you're pouring in a lot of time and you're trying to do the right things, you're trying to say the right things, but yet it still seems difficult, it still seems tough, it still seems challenging. Maybe it's just your life in general and you're looking at your future and you're looking at your career and you're, you're putting in all this planning, but yet things just aren't lining up the way that you hoped they would. And it can be really frustrating and it can be really challenging and it can even leave you feeling a little bit hopeless or just asking why. Why are my best efforts, my best intentions, my best planning, my best advice, uh, why aren't they working out? Why aren't things turning out the way that, uh, that I hope they would? Why isn't it producing a better result? And then this question, well, what's the solution? What, what do I do? And I think we all, we all come to that place and we're all there and maybe we're there a lot. And there's... There's hope, and that's what I want us to see today, even as we look at this passage, as we continue to look at the Gospel of John, and as we continue to look at um, this, um, this guy that's in the middle of this story, John the Baptist, we start to see something really clearly as we look at his role in this story. And we start to gain a lot of clarity in these areas. And so here's what I want us to see today. I want us to see really clearly one, one thing as we unpack this passage is that when we realize we have a savior, we're freed from trying to be a savior. When we realize we have a savior, we're freed from trying to be a savior. And so if you've got your Bible or you've got your phone, and it's also gonna be up here, um, we are gonna look at John chapter one, 19 through 34. 
We're going to see what the gospel has to say to us today. So here's how it starts. You heard Katie read it. Um, And let's go through it a little bit here. In verse 19, chapter 1, it says, And this is the testimony of John. Now just really quickly, this isn't the testimony of John who's writing the book, the Gospel of John. This is the testimony of John the baptizer. Um, The testimony of John the baptizer, not Jesus' disciple. And here's what Matthew tells us about John the baptizer. It says this uh, in Matthew. Now John, John the baptizer, wore a garment. I just want you to picture this because this is an amazing illustration that's about to be painted. Um, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. John is just a raw dude. Like, John is a character here, all right? He's, if you think about him, and maybe you've seen pictures of him, like if you've ever been to the U District, there's a lot of stuff in the U District that won't stick out. I'm pretty sure if John was walking around the U District, even he would stick out. Like that's who John is here. Um, And God calls him to have this role and to do something uh, amazing. And John heeds the call. But this is who John is. And so on, continuing in verse 19. In this testimony of John, and when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem, they sent him to ask him, who are you? And he confessed, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And so they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you a prophet? And he answered, no. So John, who's baptized around the Jordan River, is now confronted with basically this fact-finding mission from these guys that the Jewish leaders send out. And they've heard about him. So the Jewish leaders have heard about this guy where people are coming and they're being baptized. And so they want to see what's going on. Who is this? Is this the one who was promised? Like, let's go figure it out. Let's see who he is. And so they send these guys out. And the first thing that they want to know is, John, who are you? All right? You're out here on the river. You're looking questionable at best. And you're baptizing people. And so what's, what's going on? Who are you? And so um, there wouldn't be any confusion. John, John knew what, what they wanted to know. He knew that maybe they thought that he was Jesus. And so, so there wouldn't be any confusion. He goes ahead and he starts off by saying this. He wants to make it really clear. I am not the Christ. All right, so I'm not Jesus. So if you thought I was Jesus, let me just tell you I'm not. And they say, how about Elijah? How about a prophet? And he says, nope, I'm, I'm not them either. And so they said to him, continuing in verse 21, uh, or verse 22. So they said to him, who are you? All right, if you're not Jesus, if you're not Elijah, if you're not a prophet, then who are you? We need uh, to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said to them, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So these guys are saying, all right, you've told us who you're not, but we need to take something back to these leaders. Don't make us look like idiots. Don't make us come all the way out here, and then we don't know who you are, and we go back, and we can't give an answer. So who are you? And he answers by quoting Isaiah 40. Um, He says, I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Here's what John knew. John the baptizer, he knew who he wasn't, he knew who he was, and he knew what his purpose was. And we see that really, really clearly. Um, He was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, which is amazing. So what was said back in Isaiah before Christ came and took on flesh, that there would be one that would come before him that would make the path straight, that would prepare his way. 
And this was important, that there would be one that came before that declared the truth of Jesus coming. And that's what John's doing. He says he wasn't to be the Christ, but he's to prepare the way of the Christ. If you've ever watched a State of the Union address, State of the Union address, before the president comes in, the sergeant at arms will come in the door and say, um, speaker, and I can't get the words right, so I'm not even going to try. It wouldn't be right. Um, but here's the president, all right? <laughs> That's, that'd be awesome if they did that. Here's the president. He's coming. Turn on a boom box, and he walks in. Um, and so there's the guy that comes before. And here's why he does that, because the person coming after is important. And so he wants everybody, their, their attention to be on the person who's coming after. If you haven't watched State of a Union Address, um, it's kind of like a rapper's hype guy, all right? I haven't been to many rap concerts, in fact, but I, I really did love Boys to Men back in the day. And that was the first concert I ever went to in Missouri, fifth grade, thought it was awesome, I thought it was the best. And even they had a hype guy who came out on stage, got everybody really excited and prepared everybody to focus because here comes Boys to Men and then they come out. I'm not going to get further into that, that's a whole other discussion. But... Here's what John's doing. He's making it clear. He wants everybody's attention to be brought on, hey, I'm not Jesus. I'm not the one who's, um, who's, who's coming. I'm the one who's coming before, and he's coming after. I'm preparing the way. Um, and so this is what John's saying. I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. And in verse 24, now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so these are the same guys who would come from the religious leaders, and they ask him, okay, then why are you baptizing? If you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, and you're not a prophet. And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he, comes, even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So they're saying, okay. If you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're not um, a prophet, then, then why are you doing this? And John says this in verse 26, and this is, this is amazing. He says, I baptize with water, but the one who stands among you who you do not know, um, he wants to make it really clear, hey, my actions, the things that I'm doing out here, they don't compare to the one who's coming. John was calling people to repent, that the kingdom was near, that they needed to repent of their sins and trust in God. But he's saying, hey, the, what I'm doing out here, it, it doesn't contain power. Like, I'm not baptizing, um, and there's not, there's not power in the water in which I'm baptizing. I'm baptizing as a response to people who are repenting of their sin and who want to come to God and have a relationship with him. And he wants to make that really, really clear. And then in verse 27, and this is so amazing, because John, he, he, he has a big role here. And there are a lot of people coming out to him. And so John's kind of gained this reputation. He's out baptizing people, and they're coming from all around. But he wants to make it so incredibly clear the difference between himself and Jesus um, that he says the humblest gesture he could possibly say. He says, there's one coming whose sandals I'm not even fit to untie, which was the humblest thing you could do. Because walking around in the dusty roads day after day after day to untie somebody's sandals, it was kind of gross. It was something a servant would do, maybe even below a servant. And John's just trying to make this so clear to these guys. Hey, I'm not the Christ. I'm nowhere near him. I'm just making the way for him. And so they didn't get it, though. 
This is important to see. They were missing the message because they were so stuck on the messenger. He's trying to make a point. He's trying to show them, hey, I'm making the way clear, and you guys need to know who's coming. Like, it's important for you as well. Um, it'd be like if there was a hurricane coming, and we got caught up debating why the news reporter on TV delivered the news the way he did. And we sat around asking, like, why is he saying it that way? It's like, hey, um, a little bit bigger issue going on. A hurricane's coming. And so that's what's going on here. They're missing the message for the messenger. But John's trying to make it really clear. Because at this point, Jesus has spent 40 days in the wilderness. He spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And he hasn't given into that temptation. And so here's what happens. This was on one day. It says the next day, so after these guys come and they ask John all these questions, the next day, verse 29, Jesus saw, or the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. This is more than just a cute name that's given to Jesus Because this name tells us, the Lamb of God tells us the purpose that Jesus had. Why he took on flesh. Why he came. He comes to take away, what does it say in verse 29? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is a massive statement that John is making. Lambs in the Old Testament were sacrificed as a symbol of sin being taken away from a people or from a person for a time, but it was repeatedly done. And the reason that lambs were a symbol is because they were a great symbol of um, innocence, unblemished innocence. That was about the closest sacrifice that you could get to it was a lamb. And so people would sacrifice these lambs, but it was a continual sacrifice. It wasn't a one-time sacrifice because even these lambs, they weren't perfectly innocent and they weren't perfectly unblemished. And so it was a great symbol, but it was just that. It was, it was a symbol. But Jesus' purpose as the Lamb of God, it, it was the same. It was to take away sin, but not, but not just for a person or for a group of people, but as it says, the sin of the world. For those who would accept his payment for this sin, for those who would receive his grace, would receive his salvation. This sacrifice was a one-time final sacrifice. That's why it doesn't say Jesus, a lamb of God. It says Jesus, the lamb of God. The one who we've been waiting for. So that we no longer have to offer up these sacrifices because he will be the perfect sacrifice. Because he is perfectly innocent. He is perfectly spotless. And he is the only one they could take on our sin and would do it sufficiently so that it could be forever paid for. And so he's more than just a symbol. He's divinely God taking on flesh. He's the lamb. In Isaiah 53 it says this, that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as one who from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and they, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone 
to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is Jesus. This is the Lamb of God. This is the one that John was making the way clear for because we needed we needed a sacrifice that was just. We needed a sacrifice that was completely innocent, that could take on our sin, that could make that payment so that no other payment would need to be made, so that we could have eternal life instead of eternal death and separation from God. And John goes on to say in 30, this is whom I said. This is whom I've been talking to you about. After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Going back to the word, Jesus has always existed. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. This is the reason that I came baptizing you. This is the reason that I called you to repent from your sins so that you could trust in him, the one who's coming, the one who has came. He's taken on flesh because he's going to be the sacrifice for your sin. He is where your hope will be found. This is the one I've been telling you about. This is why I've been calling you to repent. And in verse 32, John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen him and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John had no relationship with Jesus before this occurrence. Um, he didn't have um, a relationship with him at all, and so he's assuming, he's assuming that you've actually read the account in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And what he's actually talking about here is um, when John baptizes Jesus. John knew what to look for. God made it clear to John what to look for, and he describes it here. And that's what confirms to him that this is the Christ. This is Jesus. The Holy Spirit came upon him. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is our Savior who's come. He is the Son of God. John baptized with water, but Jesus with the Holy Spirit. And John wants us to know that because it's incredibly important. John knew what he was doing, baptizing with water, couldn't save anyone. It was, it was really what we practice as believers, baptism. It's, not, um, a sign, it's a sign of inward transformation, but it doesn't transform. And that's what John was doing is he called people to repent. But Jesus offers something far greater. He offers a complete inward transformation and regeneration. He gives us freedom from sin and fills us with the Holy Spirit. And that's what John wants us to know. And he's able to do this because, as John says, Jesus is the Son of God. Now, John clearly knew who he was. He knew who he was not, and he knew what his purpose was. He wasn't to be the Christ, he wasn't to be the Savior, but he was meant to point people to the Savior, to Jesus, to the Lamb of God, to the Son of God, who takes away the sin of the world because that's our greatest need, and we all have that need, and John knew this. And so he, he knew who he was, he knew who he wasn't, he knew his purpose. And so let me ask you this, what, do, do you know your role? Do you know your role? Because I, I can't, we, ha, we haven't been asked to save. Only Jesus can do that. 
Um, I can't save anyone. You can't save anyone. John can't save anyone. That was something that only Jesus could do. And so that question, do, do you know your role? But here's the truth. Even though we can't save, we, we try to save. <laughs> I, I do that. Uh, we try to save people. It's a good intention, but we, we try to save people. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you, somebody and you tried to share the gospel with them and they uh, rejected it and you felt really frustrated, maybe like a failure, maybe like what you said wasn't good enough? And I think a lot of the reason that we feel that is because we're actually trying to save them. We've taken on a role that wasn't our role to take on. We try to save our relationships. Maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's a dating relationship, maybe it's just friendships and Maybe something gets rocky, and so we do all that we can, and we put all the effort forth that we can, and we, we try to give great advice, but we just can't do it, and it falls flat, and we, we feel like, why wasn't that good enough? We try to save um, our future. We try to save our careers, meaning we try to figure it all out, but sometimes when we can't, we, we feel like, what's gone wrong? Why can't, why can't I do this? Why isn't it working out the way that I, I thought it would, the way that I, I hoped it would? The greatest reality that I've been faced with this week is I went over this passage and I looked at John and I looked at the role that he had as the one who was preparing the way for Jesus. And the greatest reality I feel like um, faced with on a regular basis, day after day, week after week, is my inability to save. My my inability to save myself, um, my inability to save others, and my inability to save situations in my life. Um... I, I'm hit with this, I think, most close to home with, um, even in my relationship with Laura, um, right now, it's the two of us, and that's our family, but I'd be lying if I said I, I, we didn't hope that it was, there were three of us, or four of us, or five of us. Um, we've been trying to have children for a while, and every month that goes by, I'm reminded that I can't save that situation. I can't make it happen, no matter how much I want to, no matter how much I try to. I can't do it. And it leaves me really with two options. And I find myself living out the first one um, way more than I'd like to admit. But it leaves me angry and it leaves me frustrated. And it leaves me feeling worthless. It leaves me feeling condemned. It leaves me sometimes just shaking my fist at God and saying, why isn't this happening the way that we want it to happen? And that's really the first option. And God can handle it. But there's a better option, and that's when I'm reminded of who God is. I'm reminded of who Jesus is. I'm reminded that even though there's things going on that I can't see and I can't make sense of, I trust that God has a greater plan than I can even imagine, than I can see. And I'm reminded that Jesus is the Lamb of God, the innocent one who took on the brokenness, who took on the sin, who took on our pain, who took on our fears, who took all those things and he's already taken them to the cross and he's already paid for them because he's that loving, because he's that gracious, because he's that good. And that's not just a band-aid that you put over and you pretend everything's okay. Things aren't always okay because there's sin in the world, but there is a great savior and his name is Jesus. And he knows what he's doing and he loves you and he cares for you. And so we can go to him at those times, because he's felt our pain, he's taken it to the cross. 
There's a reason why John makes this point three times. Here's the point that he makes. I baptize with water. Did you notice that? He says it three times in this passage. John wants to make it incredibly clear that his actions in and of themselves baptize and do not hold significant power. Only Jesus holds that authority and that power. Your best attempts, your tireless efforts, your best attempts may not be able to grow or um, save your marriage. Your best attempts. Your tireless effort planning for your future and your career and what that looks like, it may not work out the way that you thought it would or the way that you hoped it would. For your family and whatever that looks like, that dynamic, no matter how much you do, that just may not, it may not fit in the timeline that you hoped it would. It may not turn out the way that you thought it would. It may look different with that friend, um, with that relationship. In your life in general, the things that we do, the things that we plan, the time that we put in, it, it, may, not, it may not turn out the way that we hoped. It may not turn out the way that, that we had planned. Our best effort, even in our conversations with others who don't know Jesus, even the smoothest words and the best preparation, um, on our own, that's it's not going to lead them to him. That, that won't save them. Hopefully it will lead them to him, but it won't save them. Um, Sam, would you join me up here? Um, for those of you who don't know the uh, Scherenbergs, they're a great family. And uh, they have really cute kids. And this uh, Tuesday in Life Group, um, we were talking. And a little bit of Sam's testimony came up, and I wanted you to, uh, to hear it today. And so uh, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Really appreciate that. Uh -huh. um, tell, us, tell us just a little bit about your background. Um, so I was raised, born and raised in Michigan, um, divorced family. My parents got divorced when I was five. My dad had custody of my sister and I, and we would see my mom every other weekend. Dad got remarried um, when I was eight, and she had a daughter, and so the five of us grew up. And I think to, well, describe us, we went to church, but church was like as important as like grocery shopping, which, you know what I mean? It's just like, well, we go to church and we go grocery shopping. It's so, it wasn't like a big thing. I mean, it wasn't that important for us. It was just something we did. Um, and then I think if you would have seen our family, you would have thought successful, middle, upper class. My dad's a successful businessman. I think you would have thought, you know, they have everything going on. And I think I thought life was found in what I could do. And so high school for me was like get involved, you, just, you know, be a part of as many things as you can be. Um, I was president of student council, captain of the swim team, citizen of the year, you know, had boyfriends, had friends. Um, so I think people would say, you know, oh yeah, Sam has everything going on. And, um, but underneath what people didn't know is that I was super insecure and super depressed, um, but I was really good at hiding that from people and, and really confused because it was like, I'm doing everything the world tells me to do to be happy, and I have everything to be happy, but I'm not. What am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. um, and so then I was preparing to go to college, go to Michigan State, and um, I just planned to do the same thing. Um, I didn't really know what else to do. I thought it was normal to feel like that. So Yeah. yeah. And so tell us about Tony, who, who you meet before you go to college. Yeah, so Tony is a family friend I didn't know who's my age. Um, he went, he was planning to go to the University of Michigan, I went to Michigan State, and Tony um, was a Christian, and I very much was not, um, and he is a very bold Christian, and so the first time we hung out, 
Tony took it upon himself to tell me about Jesus and how his relationship with God and how I needed that. And I told him to shut up, like literally told him to shut up, and that I didn't care and I didn't need God. And obviously I had done okay without God. Um, but every, we hung out. I don't know why I stayed friends with him. I, I, I did. But we hung out for like three months before each of us went to school. And every single time we hung out, he t told me about Jesus. Which for me, I'd get like the social cue of like, maybe I should back off. Um, but no, but he full force and every single time I told him, shut up, I don't need God. Because um, I really didn't see my need. I thought, I thought I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. Even though it wasn't satisfying, I thought it was what I was supposed to do. Um, and so, yeah. So what, what changed? Uh, so went to you're school. here right now. Yeah, and I'm a missionary, which is like, yeah. what? Um, I want to be a sports broadcaster, but I'm, God has my husband and I being missionaries, which is hilarious. Um, so went to college, um, had friends, joined a sorority, was meeting people, partying, kind of doing the same gig, but I think the emptiness was so strong and the depression of like, yeah, this just isn't it, and what is the point of being here? Why do I wake up every day and go to class? Um, what am I doing wrong? And I couldn't find the answers, and I remember walking on campus and seeing Christian groups, you know, they would chalk their meeting times on the ground and actually being really interested, and I would talk to random people in classes, and what do you think about God? Like, I don't know, you know, and so, and I'd never thought about turning to God, but I think because my friend Tony was very bold. Like, I knew that was maybe an option. Um, and then, yeah, I just think, I mean, I just remember crying in my dorm room, like, I don't understand what's wrong with me. And um, so it was actually on Instant Messenger. So I had that longing. God started really working in my heart um, to draw me to himself, show me the emptiness, show me my need for him. Even though I didn't really know what that meant, I wanted to try it. Um, and so it was actually on Instant Messenger because he was at University of Michigan, and I just said, okay, if I'll try this God thing. I don't really get it, but I'll try it. And so he typed on Instant Messenger like a prayer just saying, God, thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. And so I prayed, you know, and asked Jesus to come into my life on Instant Messenger. And then, um, which is awesome. And then, uh, yeah, he said I need to meet Christians, which I thought Christians were lame, which like, I'd hated board games, and I'm like, I don't want to play board games all the time. And like, because I had Christian friends in high school, and I'm like, you know, their fun is not my type of fun. And um, so, anyway, I didn't have any Christian friends, so I found Crew, which formerly Campus Crusade for Christ, which my husband and I are, we work for them now, funny enough. And so, um, got plugged into a sorority Bible study, started being mentored by a woman on staff with Crew, and um, slowly, um, God, yeah, teaching me. I never opened a Bible before and started learning about the Lord. So That's awesome. And yeah. you, as we were talking about it through email today, you, you made the point that, like, hey, like, the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. moved. Like, mm -hmm. you, you rejected what Tony had to say time and time and time again. Yeah. Um, but yet, the Holy Spirit was able to, to move. And mm -hmm. um, it's a great testament to the saving power of Jesus yeah. and Jesus alone. So thank yeah. you for sharing that with yeah. us, Sam. I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Yeah. That's awesome because this is, this is the truth. Where 
where relationships find their hope, where seemingly hopeless situations are salvaged, where the person who rejects the truth of the gospel time and time and time again and maybe even says shut up every time somebody shares the gospel with them. Where the hope is, it's, it's, it's not in us because we're not the Savior, but here's what can happen and here's, here's the beautiful thing is that the Holy Spirit can move and Jesus can save because he is the savior, because he is the lamb who took on our sin and he took it to the cross and he paid the punishment that we deserved. And he's redeeming, he is, he's redeeming. And sometimes we don't know what that all looks like or how it's gonna all turn out, but he's trustworthy and we can trust in him because he's good, he has good for us. And that's just a great testimony to his goodness, that he can salvage our brokenness, our loneliness, that he can salvage our hurts and pains, and ultimately salvage, save, and secure our eternity. I don't have this power. You don't have this power. John doesn't have this power. Jesus alone has this power because he overcame sin and death, and he's alive, and he's a great savior, and that's why we find our hope in him. And that's why John is pointing people to him. You'd notice John doesn't offer good advice. He offers good news. John doesn't offer good advice. He offers good news. I offer, try to offer good advice a lot, and it gets me into trouble in a lot of different ways. Sometimes I'm in marriage, sometimes just with other people. When sometimes what I really need to do is just say, you know what, I don't have all the answers, but I do have good news. Our sin, our brokenness, our hurt, our pain, our unknowing, Jesus can relate with it. And Jesus took all that upon himself, the spotless lamb who came to take away the sins of the world. And so I believe he's good. I believe he has a good plan. And I can take a breath, and I don't have to bear that weight, which is good on ourselves as trying to be a savior, but instead we can look to the one who already has that role as savior. That's Jesus that's where we find hope, and that's where we find ultimate, ultimate salvation. John didn't want to make disciples of himself, and I don't want to make disciples of myself, and I don't want you to make disciples of yourself. Because you will drop the ball, at least eventually. We want to make disciples of Jesus. That's why John is making the path straight. Because when we realize that we have a Savior, it frees us from needing to be a Savior. Instead, we can point ourselves to Jesus. We can point others to Jesus. We can find salvation in all areas of life in Jesus. Your marriage, advice isn't, advice isn't a, a horrible thing. I don't want you to think that. But make sure that any advice that you give is grounded in truth. But good news is always better than good advice. Um, for some of you, we, well, for all of us in our relationships, we need more good news and less good advice. Um, in our, uh, our friendships, we need less advice and more good news. And your, for your future, less advice and more good news. Sometimes we think about and we wonder about what's the will of God in my life? I know as a college student, I thought about that a lot. What's the will of God in my life? Here's, here's the truth. In the most simplistic way, the will of God in your life is that you would love God and love people. That's what John's doing here. He's loving God and he's loving people. He's pointing them to Jesus. And a lot of the times, I think we can get so caught up on the what, so 
what does my future look like? What does my career look like? What does the title that I hold look like? And we miss out on the how. And I think God's really concerned a lot with the how. We get sometimes so tied up in the what, but he wants to know, okay, if you have that job, like how are you gonna, how are you gonna, do, how are you gonna do it? Are you gonna love people through that? Um, if you have that marriage, how are you gonna go about it? Are you gonna love people? Are you gonna love me and love people? And so that's the ultimate um, will that God has um, even as we try to uh, think about what does our future hold, as we try to bring solutions in all of these areas, and here's what I would come to is that, once again, when we realize that we are not the Savior in our story or anyone else's, and that God is absolutely sovereign, he's absolutely in control, he's absolutely good, and he doesn't need us to save anything because he already has, it brings such freedom, and it brings such relief. And it doesn't mean that, all right, everything's going to be hunky-dory, but it means that we can lean into him. We can lean into Christ. We can lean on him. We can take our burden. We can take all those things to him because he's already taken it to the cross. And that's where we can find great freedom. It means that we get to look to Christ, the spotless lamb who took on our sin. So when we sin against each other in marriage, we get to look to the lamb who already took that sin to the cross. He already paid for it. When we see a friend falling into sin, we get to point them to the lamb who took on that sin and point them to the lamb who is their hope. When we lose sight of our future and start to panic, we can remember that ultimately our future has been redeemed through Jesus and our ultimate purpose is to follow him. We have the opportunity with non-believers, we don't need to just offer advice, but instead we can tell them the good news of the lamb of God who took away the sin of the world for those who would receive his grace. When we're disappointed, when we're hurt, when we feel like throwing in the towel, we start to wonder if we're being punished, we can look to the spotless lamb who was already punished and realize that we are under the grace of God if we have a relationship with him. And so for some of us, it's just remembering that and reminding ourselves of that and reminding one another of that, that we don't need to be the savior. We've already got it one, and he's great. He's alive. We can go to him. And if you don't have a relationship with him, he offers you his grace and he offers you his love. And it's shown, shown through passages like Isaiah, that he would love you so much that he would come, he would take on your sin, that he would go to the cross, he would overcome sin and death so that you could have new life in him and that's offered to you. You don't need to save yourself. In fact, you can't do it. There's not enough that you could do to make you innocent and spotless. And God knew that. And because he knew that and he loved you so much, he gave Jesus, who John is making the way for. My prayer as we come to the close of this is that for our church, that we would not simply be a church of good advice, but of good news. That we would make very clear and very known the good news of Jesus. That we would encourage each other with the good news of Jesus. That we would point one another to the Savior who already has that role, Jesus. That we would not feel the incessant need to be the savior in one another's lives, but we would be there for one another to remind one another to clear away the lies, to clear away the deception, to make clear the path so that we can clearly see Jesus, where our ultimate hope is found, the ultimate solution to our sin, to our pain, to our suffering, to our questions, that it's found in Jesus. When we realize we have a savior, it gives us the freedom to stop trying to be a savior, and we have a great savior.
His name is Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My prayer for you is the same as it is for me, that we would allow him to have that rightful role in our lives and in others' lives, and that we would allow him to lead and we would follow. Jesus, thank you for your love for us and thank you for your grace and thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you that you have done something that we could absolutely not do. Jesus, thank you for coming and coming in such a a humble way so that we can relate with you, that we can, in all of our um, questions and all of our relationships and all of our sometimes frustrations, that we can look to you, that we can be reminded of your goodness and your grace. God, I pray that we would just humbly submit to you. I pray for uh, believers in this room right now that we would humbly submit to you that we would offer you our marriages, that we would offer you our children, that we would offer you our, um, our unbelieving friends and neighbors, that we would offer you our future, and we would trust you to salvage, save, that we would trust you to work in those areas through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because that's the beauty of this. Although John only baptized with water, he wanted to make it incredibly clear, and you want to make it incredibly clear that through Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit who is working in us and through us is powerfully moving. The one that can soften the hardest heart, the one that can put back together the most broken relationships. It's you, it's Jesus. Thank you for coming so humbly. I pray that we would humbly submit our lives to you. Jesus, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, I pray that today they would realize they can. I pray that they would lay down their life, that they would realize that they have a problem and that's sin. It's rebellion against you. But I pray that they wouldn't run from you. Instead, I pray that they would realize, maybe for the first time, how good your love is, how good your grace is, and they would run to you, to be known by you. Jesus, thank you for your love, and thank you for your grace. And I just pray that we would be a church that, that shows that so clearly to one another, to the community around us. Because you're the one who saves, and it's you alone. Praise in your name. Amen.